Hello, I'm Dave Watts, and this is the Redundancy Podcast. The purpose of the podcast is to share the challenges of finding a job as an older worker. My podcast guest today is Megan Gearhart, Professor of Leadership, Miami University, Ohio, and founder-owner of the Gerhardt Group. Megan has recently co-authored a book called Gentelligence, The Revolutionary Approach to Leading an Intergenerational Workforce. We're going to talk about unlocking the potential of intergenerational workforces and what this will mean for older workers. Megan, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Perhaps we can start by asking, what is Gentelligence? And are generations really all that different? Doesn't everyone want, amongst other things, a sense of purpose, flexibility, support and appreciation? Sure. So Gentelligence is the term I coined for our need to be, in a nutshell, smarter about how we look at the potential for intergenerational learning. more to a positive narrative around where are the opportunities. For your second question about aren't generations all the same, yes and no. So yes, in that we absolutely all share these universal needs for respect, connection, meaningful work. I think where we see important meaningful differences that maybe we don't necessarily recognize or understand is how different generations pursue fulfillment of those needs. So this is best maybe represented by a story I I have about chatting with my father, who's 73 years old, retired just recently. And uh, he was an attorney and he talked about how at the beginning of his career, he really tried to earn respect by putting his head down, doing what he was told, Uh, working hard, waiting for his boss to come tap him on the shoulder and tell him it was time time for him to have a promotion or it was time for him to have a raise. And he said he was really thrown when later in his career, when he was in a leadership role, his younger associates were coming to him to tell him it was time for their promotion or their raise. Really just quite, to him, shocking and, and entitled and not what he had grown up really believing was, quote, the right way to do things. So we had a great conversation about the assumptions being made and also the lens that he was using, right? That is it possible that those associates want the same thing he wanted, right? They have a need for respect. They have a need for recognition. But the norms they grew up with around how you fulfill those needs look quite different and, of course, can lead then to miscommunication. They can lead to frustration, tension, things like that. And so that's really where I think the complex work of Gentelligence allows us to tease those kinds of things apart. If we go on then from that that story about your father and his experience, you say that 40% of employees now report to a boss who is younger than them. Does this matter? And if it does, what are the implications for both sides? I think it matters in that it's a bit of a reversal from what we're used to, right? Our norm has typically been, not always, but as a trend, that most of the time, the older you are, the more likely you are to be in charge. And that has been shifting over the years for a lot of interesting reasons. Uh, One is that as our baby boomers uh, get older and more of them are retiring, 
who will take their place. It's not always people in my generation. So Gen Xers famously known as, you know, stereotyped as slackers, but the the more complex and, and nuanced understanding of that is my generation didn't grow up necessarily believing success meant the highest rung on the ladder. We have a broader definition of that. And because of that, many people in my generation may or may not be striving for that top leadership role, whereas our millennial generation has been kind of chomping at the bit a bit to get those leadership positions as early as possible. So there's some leapfrogging going on. So whether or not it matters, I think it depends on how well it's done, the dynamics of leader follower. So in our book, we talk about what are the challenges for a younger leader? Well, I think the challenges are gaining respect that sometimes is automatically given to someone who's older because it's assumed, right, that they're credible and they've earned that position. That's not an automatic assumption we give to younger people in leadership all the time. I think the challenge is also you have people who likely have a great deal of experience and organizational knowledge on your team. Do they resent having someone younger than them in a position of authority? Sometimes they do not, right? Sometimes that's fine with them. They love being part of a team. But other times, was that a position they wanted? Do they resent someone younger being put in a position to tell them what to do when they feel like they've earned the right to have that autonomy or that level of of responsibility themselves? And so then the question is, how do you turn older people on your team into partners, into allies, into people who can help teach you the things that, you know, being a leader obviously doesn't mean you know everything. And how can you approach that with a certain amount of humility and be humble enough to say, I would love Dave to get your input on the situation that we're facing. It doesn't mean that I'm not capable, competent, and deserve the role. In fact, it means I'm so capable that I'm willing to ask for input and help from people that might have a valuable perspective. And so I think for a younger leader, it's just a different kind of challenge. And for an older teammate, can you view your position as one where you still add value, you're still considered an important part of the team, or are you resenting the fact that that younger person is in a role that is a, a bit at this point untraditional from what we, we tend to be accustomed to uh, expecting? Thank you. You talk about the origins of generational conflict and how it results in both ageism and reverse ageism. But hasn't ageism always been around, just that it was largely masked by other discriminatory actions around race or gender, sexuality, religion, and so on? Many countries have done some reasonable work in trying to mitigate discrimination in these areas, leaving ageism seemingly as the last ism to be tackled effectively. Yes, uh, absolutely agree with everything that you said. One of the reviewers of our book said this is really the missing link, right? That, that if you think about it, you would be startled to pick up a newspaper or scroll through the news and see blatant public shaming being done based on someone's race or, or gender identity, you know, that, that we know that's not socially acceptable, that that's not okay, yet age seems to have gotten a pass. Generations seem to have gotten a pass, right? I can say, you know, entitled millennial or okay boomer or whatever the equivocal is in somebody's culture and nobody even blinks. And so, yes, I think it it always has been uh, that we have sort of given a social pass to calling someone old timer or, you know, using any form of age as, as sort of a put down, And the reality is not only is it dangerous and damaging, it's 
leaving a lot of potential for growth and talent and intergenerational learning and opportunity on the table because you're basically criticizing and and putting someone down for something they have no control over. And in doing that, it creates this horrible us versus them dynamic where somehow we're in competition, right? That if my expertise and my type of knowledge or experience that has come from when I was educated and grew up is valuable, then yours is less valuable, right? Instead of saying, well, probably they're both quite valuable and imagine what would be possible if we actually combine them together, right? Which we're much less likely to do that if you and I are staring at each other thinking, well, are you going to take an opportunity that I should have, right? Are we, that we're at odds somehow instead of being partners in creating solutions for what's going on workplace and otherwise. So I think ageism and reverse age of ageism has always been a thing. I think now we're starting to realize that we haven't given it the attention or we've been willing to pay the price of it at our peril. I think there's been things that have been done, but very rarely is age looked at as a part of a really proactive diversity strategy, right? That it's a place for opportunity. At most, we try to legislate discrimination, but that's different than leveraging it as an opportunity. So let me pose two questions to you then. Question one, I'm an older worker struggling to get a job because of ageism. What positive steps can I take to find or stay in work? I think older workers, of course, are fighting stereotypes that have very little validity. Things like not tech savvy, unwilling to change. You know, we have no research backing up any of that is true. We know, for example, that our older workers may use technology differently or have different preferences about how pervasive uh, technology is and what they do and how they approach work, but but no evidence showing that they're less able or less talented in, in mastering it. I think, to me, the strategy is to really call out the elephant in the room and talk about sort of the thing that is being assumed, right? Because I think there's an assumption that an older worker isn't interested in learning, in upskilling, in uh, collaborating with younger people. And that's kind of the the worry, right? If I bring you in, are you going to want to do it all your way? Are you going to not be willing to entertain new ways of doing things? Which we know older workers that's a stereotype. Older workers are often extremely interested in growth, learning, and, and also partnering, whether that's mentoring, whether that's benefiting from you know, mutual mentoring. And I think being able to sort of raise those points proactively and saying, I, I'm really looking forward to learning from this new position. I'm looking forward to opportunities to increase my skill set. I'm looking forward to also contributing, you know, what I've learned in my other roles and the other phases of my, my career to help you with what your challenges are, right? That it's a two-way street because you're fighting against perceptions that you won't be interested in doing those things. And so I think just, just calling kind of calling it out and saying, I'm very excited. This is why I want this opportunity. I'm interested in growing and learning. I think I could add a wonderful different perspective as well as learn a lot from 
from the other people there. That's my recommendation, right? I think we shouldn't all pretend like people aren't walking in with these preconceived notions of of the baggage an older worker might have when they come in with them. If we believe that that's happening, and certainly many lawsuits would show that we're probably right, then how do you counter that, right? By by saying, I, I really enjoy learning new things. I'd love to learn these new skills. And here's, here's some things I see you're doing that I would love to be involved in because I think there's such a growth opportunity. Just pushing back and being bold about the fact that, that those stereotypes have really have nothing to do with who you are. So let me ask you the other question then. I'm an employer. I want to have a multi-generational workforce and benefit from their blend of skills and experience. What do I need to do to attract those people to my organization, get them to work across the generations without friction and benefit from the success that cooperation brings? So an easy question. That's what you're. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd leave the easy one to the end. Sure. So as I said, left to their own devices, just hiring people across generations is not going to be sufficient. That doesn't work. We have lots of research to back that up. It takes a proactive strategy. Um, particularly, we call it, you know, a gentelligent people strategy uh, in the book. We talk about this. You know, I think, first of all, I want to say on the front end, thinking differently about who your talent will be and where it will come from, that our new workers aren't always going to be university graduates or people just starting their careers, that that we have this immense amount of potential, particularly now with people having career transfers due to COVID and in the great resignation and all of those things, that your workers could come from anywhere, any age group, any generation, and that sort of diversity of experience is such an opportunity, right? So starting with that kind of mindset. And then let's say we do a successful job, you know, things like returnships, people who have been out of the workplace for a while who may want to try something new. Their third act is what I'm seeing it called, um, second or third act, providing on-ramps for those people, like being very public about the fact that we would love to have this kind of worker come and that we think this is going to add such great opportunity to bring in new people who are potentially not right out of a university or, or starting their careers. So that said, if we're able to sort of attract that on the talent side of things, we offer four specific practices uh, to help leaders and organizations be more successful. And these can happen small scale, big scale. We cover kind of every range in the book. The first is, is resisting assumptions. And, and of course, this is about pushing back on stereotypes or implicit bias, but maybe an even more simple question that I've asked a lot in, in conversations I've had lately is talking about how different people in your workplace define terms, right? How do you define respect? How do you define success? How do you define learning or innovation? And not assuming that we all define those things the same way. Adjusting the lens is the second practice where we talk about you see things the way you are, not the way they are, right? So what what interpretation are you making about teammates' behavior, your employees' behavior, your organization's behavior that are somewhat rooted in your lens of perspective, right? And part of that is generational, And how might you otherwise interpret them, right? How might you otherwise interpret someone's behavior who grew up in a very different time and place maybe than you did? Sort of encouraging those conversations. And then on the other side of it, the the last two strategies are about realizing the potential. 
So one is building trust, switching this narrative from an us versus them competitive, you know, we're all in it for ourselves narrative to setting cultural norms and values that everybody gives valuable perspective and creating psychological safety, a very trendy term right now at work. But psychological safety intergenerationally means I feel comfortable sharing with you my best ideas, whether I'm 20 or I'm 80, that I'm allowed to contribute an idea perspective without being afraid I'm out of touch or I'm too young to have an input or a perspective. But it also means being allowed to ask for help, right? That I can say, again, whether I'm younger or older, would love to have somebody, you know, help me figure this out. I had a colleague last year when we went remote overnight teaching here at the university. None of us knew how to use Zoom. Nobody knew how to do it. It was, you know, learning curve for everybody. And I immediately reached out to my students and said, hi, if you want class tomorrow, you're going to have to help me figure out how to use Zoom. I'm 45. I have no idea what Zoom is. Let's all crowdsource this together because I have psychological safety that I'm not going to seem like some old fogey, right? Because I don't know how to use Zoom and that they're they're going to need to help me. And they loved it. They loved getting to help. They loved getting to mentor me. And they had figured it out five minutes before I did. And the flip of that being that I had a colleague who's probably 10 or 15 years older than me, who sort of apologetically whispered, would you be able to show me how to do this? I have no idea. He was much more concerned that if he didn't know, he would be looked at as irrelevant or old school or out of touch. He, he didn't feel like he could ask for help the way I felt. And that's what a leader in an organization has to change. Everybody can ask for help because everybody has an opportunity to learn from one another. And that leads to the last strategy, expanding the pie, which basically talks about the fact that we can create more together than we could individually, right? So let's say that I'm a 25-year-old, bright-eyed, fresh person with all these great innovative ideas my ideas aren't ever going to go anywhere unless I know how to get them executed in an organizational environment, right? I, the, the politics, the history, the, the things people are going to be concerned about, the things that older people tend to really have a lot of expertise in because they've spent a long time navigating these things. So expanding the pie means a great, fresh, innovative idea from a younger person coupled with experience and wisdom of an older person who's jumped through a lot of hoops to get things done over their career can create something together that no one could create individually. And I think, you know, where I want to end on that is that the future of work, we have all of these amazing but complicated challenges that we're trying to sort and we're not going to figure them out alone, right? Uh, Our older generations aren't going to figure them out Our younger generations aren't going to figure them out alone. We're going to have to figure them out together. So there's there's strategies and tools in the book that are more specific, but it's really about, in a nutshell, breaking down tension and building up that uh, culture and norms for uh, trust and learning intergenerationally. Thank you, Megan. That was fascinating. Lots of things there I'd never considered. You've, You've written the book. It's available on Amazon. So what's next for you now? Oh, great question. You know, right now I'm really enjoying all of the conversations and hearing from different people across industries who are trying to 
sort this out and figure out how to put it into action where they are. So I've talked just in the last couple of weeks to advisors of family businesses, to groups of people who are considering retirement and whether they're going to be able to find organizations that will value and appreciate their wisdom and knowledge and, and put them to work in a meaningful way. I've talked to lots of Gen Zs about their different career paths and, and how their paths might be different. So I'm really loving just the different conversations and the places people want to have them. I've been working on a Gentelligence quotient. So trying to find a way for people to measure their level of Gentelligence individually and organizationally. So that'll be coming out soon. And really just learning from other people around how this is showing up where they work and what problems they, they're trying to solve and hopefully giving them the tools to do that. That's been fascinating. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you for listening the whole way through. If you like the podcast, please click on the subscribe button and listen to the advice from all my guests. I'll be back in a while and my contact details follow next. You can make contact with me via my website, theredundancypodcast.com, which has a synopsis of this and all the podcast main points, by emailing me at theredundancypodcast at gmail.com, or via Twitter with the hashtag at redundancypcast. <laughs>